This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Chuck versus Bo. Ooh, sick. Okay, so like, tell me your favorite song. Do you like Bezos 1, Bezos 2, Welcome to the Internet? My favorite is All Eyes on Me. Like, I I feel like the part where he talks is like a little bit like when I'm getting my groove on. Um, and then he like starts talking, but it's really emotionally impactful. Um, I feel like you're kind of a problematic head, though. That's a song. Not you're you're not problematic. I have no idea what you're saying. Yes, hello, hello, hello. I'm at a place called Versus Bo. That was just off the top of my head. There's a reference that all the cool young kids are going to like. Nothing says cool like a U2 reference from, God, 16 years ago. Hello, my name is Chris Gillespie. I'm the less hip host of this podcast. <laughs> my name is Ernarada. Um, I like that song. That's a That was like, that's... I mean, I I feel I have a sense that this is embarrassing to say, but I would say that's probably one of my top five U2 songs. That's fine. I respect that you're honest about that. That's OK. It's, <laughs> def- you know, it's kind of weird, but I'm also like Vertigo. It's just a uh, it's just a classic. Yeah, it's a good song. We're talking about Chuck versus Bo. <laughs> hello. Hello. Versus- today. Uh, I, w- I was going to try to make it like a, a, a Bo Bono. That doesn't really work. Oh, yeah, kind of. It's a little bit of a reach, but uh, there's... So the opening of this episode was about Bo Burnham. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bo Bice, we talked about at the end of last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the Obama's dog when they were in the White House was named Bo. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you have a boyfriend, sometimes that's referred to as Bo, but it's spelled differently. Yeah, but that's spelled differently. Yeah. Uh, But enough of that. Let's get to business. I know that there's... uh, We've been doing this podcast for a little bit we've we have over 100 episodes but i want to start something new i think we've been kind of slacking here at go chuck yourself i think it's been kind of borderline dare i say unprofessional that we don't do this at the start of every episode so i think it's important that for record keeping purposes that we start taking attendance so when i say your name uh just say here or present and i will mark it down uh aaron present okay Chris, present. And listener, just, I'm going to trust that, we'll give you a minute, just say here or present. All right. Great. Do you remember, like, when you were in elementary school and it was, like, such a thing, like, when people said present, like, everybody kind of laughed? Instead of, what, just here? Yeah, like, that was, like, the height of comedy, I feel like. It was always the class clown who was, like, present! And then everybody was, like, oh, he's so funny. <laughs> uh perhaps Bo Burnham himself did that. Maybe he's I'm a little sure bit of a did, class yeah. clown. I know very little about his work, but yeah, attendance, uh, I think it's important. I think we gotta, you know, maybe we need to re-record all of our previous episodes and make sure that everyone knows that we are both here for these episodes. Everyone is. I think in that attendance. would be a good idea. It sounds like a good use of time. And then like on the episodes where not both of us are there, like some of the um like the mm. holiday episodes, then we can make it really clear that the other host isn't there. Right, absolutely. Yeah. If it was not mm-hmm. clear enough, as is by the absence of their voice. Yeah, or by the statement, Chris is not here because he has COVID. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a classic yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Might yeah. actually get that tattooed on my inner lip <laughs> after this episode is done. 
<laughs> but I, I'm frankly, I'm glad I'm, you know, the, there's been a lot of sex and Chuck lately in the, this, this season, but I, for one, I'm just hoping for a nice G rated episode of Chuck, yeah. nice, mm-hmm. wholesome, no sex episode of Chuck. I'm sure I will be very disappointed if that is what I'm looking for. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, my first note is, oh, good. The actual episode I didn't like because longtime listeners yes. or <laughs> listeners of this season will know that there is an episode that I described as my least favorite episode of Chuck, which I was remembering that Morgan has frosted tips and goes to Colorado, which is, of uh-huh. course, this episode, season five, episode 10, Chuck versus Bo. And um, I guess it's I guess it's to be determined at the end whether or not I still feel this is my least favorite episode of Chuck. I will leave that a mystery. Um, but yes, this is the episode I was referring to. So I will write that down under underneath the attendance log. I will uh-huh. write follow up with Aaron about uh, if this is her least favorite episode. Perfect. I'll write that down under future business. OK, looking forward to it. First item on the agenda today is Aaron recaps the first 15 minutes of this episode of Chuck. (laughs) So you may remember from the previous episode that Jeff and Lester had finally discovered the secrets of Castle, which actually sounds like a Studio Ghibli (laughs) movie or something. Um, Thinking about it. But as a result, Morgan and Casey have dumped Jeff and Lester, covered them in poker chips and Vegas memorabilia, dumped them in a crash convertible somewhere in the desert, um, and made them think that they just had a bender. Um, apparently, there is a device that is a short-term memory eraser, which seems like something they maybe should have used before, should have maybe come up. Also, I don't know if that's a thing that exists, but I am a little alarmed for the implications. Um, one of the things that happens in this scene is that Morgan tries to put Lester's hand on Jeff's penis and Casey says that's unprofessional and won't let him do it. Did you clock that? I didn't realize it was Lester's hand. I thought it was just Jeff's hand. That's marginally better. Um, Still weird. (laughs) But Casey says, no, we're not doing that this week. Unprofessional. Because Casey says this is a G rated episode. This is G rated. This is wholesome. This is for families. Right. Exactly. Finally. So something that's been happening a lot this season is Sarah and Chuck waking up together in bed, which is, I guess, something that uh, you do as a married couple. But just like statistically, it seems to happen a lot each episode. <laughs> it is happening a lot, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we don't usually we haven't always been starting the day with Chuck and Sarah. But no. as of late, we're very much in their bedroom. One of them sometimes is up already. Yeah. That's going to be happening later in this episode. Yep. But yeah, there's a lot of. They really want us to know that Chuck and Sarah are adhering to a very stable sleep schedule, I guess, is what <laughs> they, they want us to know. And they they don't, like, have separate bedrooms, separate beds. They do sleep in the same bed together. Right. If anyone, if you, if anyone tries to tell you that Chuck and Sarah have separate beds and separate bedrooms, they're lying to you. Don't listen <laughs> to them. They're, they're being dishonest. This is the truth. So, in bed, Sarah hears a sound and sneaks out into the apartment proper with a gun drawn. She comes to realize that the sound she heard was just the newspaper delivery boy dropping off their daily paper. She shoots him right in the back of the head. I know. (laughs) His head explodes like a watermelon. and She goes, oh, God, what have I done? (laughs) And then Chuck's like, what's happening? And then she shoots him, too. And then she's like, oh, God. And then she shoots herself. The darkest episode of Chuck. 
Yeah, I mean, at least there's no sex, though, right? <laughs> no sex, just a double murder-suicide. Uh, when Chuck comes out of the bedroom to ask Sarah what's wrong, she just point-blank says... <laughs> point-blank shoots him in the chest. <laughs> and he goes, Sarah, no! <laughs> and she goes, I'm a monster. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this uh, Chuck versus Bo, we're just feeling a little goofy here. <laughs> no, uh, Sarah does not shoot Chuck point blank in the chest. She just tells him she wants to quit spying. She doesn't think it's conducive to their future together. And uh, based on her level of jumpiness, just like having a normal day, I see where she's coming from. She comes up with the idea of shifting Carmichael Industries to a tech firm countering cyber terrorism, which... I guess in 2011, like, I mean, they did just deal with a huge, like, world-destroying computer virus with the Omen, so mm-hmm. I kind of see where she's coming from with that. And Chuck is actually pretty into this idea. Someone else who's into it is Morgan, but someone who's not as into it is Casey, who is a little dubious about what his role will be in this new non-violent uh, job that they're all going to have. Morgan points out how happy Alex will be that her dad isn't directly in the line of fire anymore, and this convinces Casey to at least think about it. But, he says, they'll have to get rid of the Buy More cover because they just won't need it anymore, and it's just kind of uh, dead weight at this point. Yeah. With this in mind, Morgan walks into the Buy More for another day as manager, and he has kind of a, a new view of everything. He watches someone play air guitar, on, or I guess it's not really air guitar, they're playing on a Guitar Hero guitar. Uh, he watches Fernando picking his nose. Then he talks to Big Mike about how Big Mike loves the Buy More so much, which I guess is implying that he's going to ask Big Mike to take over the Buy More in the future if he is to leave. Big Mike hands Morgan a package, and Morgan opens it to discover his old iPhone from his frosted tips phase, which we can tell because it has an Ed Hardy phone case. Uh, He left a video message for himself, and he is a little nervous to watch it. We cut to Castle, where Morgan is playing the video for everyone to see on one of Castle's large screen TVs. He's partying somewhere in a big puffy white coat and in his boxers, and apparently this is something that comes up later that I didn't really notice, but he has a fat lip. Everybody's kind of wondering what's going on. He talks about someone coming up to him at a party while he was drunk and offering him intersect glasses, who he then had to beat up and run away from. The point of all this is that there's a stolen intersect somewhere out there. Morgan knows that he took it and hid it in a vault, but he doesn't know where the vault is. The team discusses the possibility of another intersect being out there somewhere in the world and decides that it is their moral obligation to track it down. Sarah makes the comment that it is their one last mission before Carmichael Industries changes tactics, and everyone, Casey, Morgan, and Chuck, are all like, Oh no, you can't say that! She responds, is this just because of some stupid movie? And they all adamantly say, yes. Do we know what movie it is? I don't know. Just like any movie. Just any movie, maybe? I don't know. I guess? Look up one last mission. See what see what comes up. Well, I knew never say to I knew that you should never say one last mission because, because it it's says, on the. Yeah. Right. On the DVD cover, it says never say one last mission. So maybe if Sarah was a little bit more familiar with the fifth and final season of Chuck <laughs> DVD box set, uh, that would make for a very weird. Uh, you, I mean, you said breaking. you wanted them to break the fourth wall more this season. So. Right. And Sarah would be like, look, I guess the that DVD box set wouldn't be out if they were filming the, the, the season currently. So I guess it doesn't make any sense. 
yeah, shut up, Chris. Let me keep talking. What, well, <laughs> if you Google search, never say one last mission, the only no, thing that comes no, up is this episode of Chuck. Don't say, don't Google never say one last mission. That's not the quote. She says one last mission. One last mission. I mean, like they say it in James Bond all the time. It's true. It's true. Chuck got, are you putting Bo it in quotes? Coming are you up. using the Boolean system? Oh, someone's the daughter of a librarian, <laughs> making sure that I'm using the bo- proper Boolean technique. One last mission. How could the phrase one last mission, it, like Chuck versus, there's something, I don't know, there's one other thing. Niklas Johnson, oh, it's an album on Amazon Music. But other than that, Chuck is the only thing that comes up, which is very oh, weird. You, okay, you think there guess. would be better, there'd be more uh, more results for that, but who knows? Yeah, I would have thought that. Uh, something else I would have thought is that after the credits, the team goes through Morgan's phone, figures out that he was somewhere snowy doing uh, pro X Games level snowboarding. And I don't know who took the pictures of him because they're like professional grade pictures of Morgan doing this. I don't know what's going on. Um, but something else important is that while going through this period of time, Morgan was texting someone named BD. He decides that the best way to figure out who BD is is by sending them another text. So he adopts his douchey frosted tips persona and sends them a what's up message. The team can't really figure out who BD is um, until they respond. But based on the episode title and the fact that during the scene, a huge and Bo Derek shows up in the on-screen carrots. I think I know. Right. I do, too. I think it's Bob Dylan. (laughs) Hey, Morgan. That's a terrible Bob Dylan impression. Yeah, it was pretty I've bad. Really I don't really it. even know Bob Dylan very well, and I know that was bad. I know his son, <laughs> Jacob Dylan, of course, the lead singer of my favorite band, The Wallflowers. <laughs> I'm just picturing this episode with Bo Derek switched out for Bob Dylan. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would go for it. That's cool. Bob Dylan seducing Morgan. Yeah. It's just old, old man. This iconic singer, just it's very gritty and nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, something. Uh, yeah, you can continue imagining that to yourself. Audience, feel free to imagine it or not. But what happens in the episode is we cut to Chuck and Morgan asking Ellie to hypnotize Morgan so that he can get at his lost memories. Apparently, because Ellie is a brain surgeon and took a psychotherapy course in college, um, she is going to know how to unlock his psyche. Apparently they're right, though, because Morgan is hypnotized almost immediately. We cut back to the open road where there is a vulture on Jeff and Lester's car, and it seems to be a real vulture and seems to really be there. Later on, there's two vultures, so I don't know if they just had like a like a large birds expert on the staff at Chuck, but uh, it was some good realism. They're like, hey, we only got like four episodes left. Like, yeah. we got this, all this extra budget. Let's splurge for the second vulture. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's get them in here. When they wake up, though, things don't go according to plan because Jeff immediately realizes that they don't actually smell like booze and they can still remember that there's something going on at the Bymore, just not what that something is. They decide they're going to hitchhike back to Burbank, but then realize they're in the middle of the desert and no one is driving by. Also, in this scene, Lester refers to Sarah not by her name, which he definitely knows after five years, but as the hoary blonde. <laughs> That's so fucked up. It was he, really upsetting. Well, let's believe that he has been a little bit more considerate, maybe, since he yeah. no longer has the carbon monoxide poisoning. 
But this seems to be, uh, I, I don't know. He's <laughs> that it was, apparently it was that's harsh. just there. That's not the carbon monoxide talking. That's just that's him just talking. There, yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. Back in Burbank, Morgan has been successfully hypnotized by Ellie. While that's going on, Sarah is on her computer looking at above ground office spaces for the new and improved Carmichael Industries. Chuck is a little upset uh, standing next to her, saying that he feels like the intersect keeps finding them and they may never be able to escape it. But Sarah kind of blows him off and just calls Casey over to tell him that one of the office spaces used to belong to Ronald Reagan. Anyway, we learn that inside, Ellie has managed to get Morgan to repeat the phrase emerald and gold, as well as the number 10. That's all she can get out of him, though, except for the fact that he wants to take her to prom. How embarrassing. Later at the Bymore, Dale, a man who Alex apparently slept with when she and Morgan were broken up, accosts Morgan and asks him if he loves Alex. Do you know who plays Dale? Because you look familiar to me. He looks very familiar, and I did not think to actually look it up. But I, I do thought have, I was going to do that, too, but I didn't. IMDB right here, and he is Ian Walt- Walterstorff. What else uh, is Ian? He was in New Girl. That's probably... Uh, and... I'm looking him up, too. Yeah. He doesn't really have anything too prominent. He's he a has truck. A lot, yeah, he's in a lot of, like, sitcoms, How I Met Your Mother. I've seen this guy. He was in Breast Picture as Dildo Actor. Yikes. Oh, no. Okay, so he plays um, Jess's, like, first boyfriend, who she breaks up with in the pilot on New Girl. So that's probably uh, why he stands out to me. Oh, wow. Huh. So that's who he is. Cool. In Chuck, though, he is Dale, who is... Uh, being kind of creepy and weird to Morgan, but Morgan is less bothered by this uh, than the fact that a woman he was not dating at the time had sex with someone else and says, I quote, I think I'm going to be sick while Alex is forced to profusely apologize. We're saved from further chivalrous behavior when Morgan gets a text back from the mysterious BD asking to meet that night at the Golden Peak Lounge. Also, while all this is happening, Jeff and Lester are sneaking around in the Bymore in the background and listening to everything that's happening. Down in Castle, Morgan continues to rant about how mad he is that Alex slept with someone else. He wants to recover all the information about his time as the Intersect, not because it could actually help the spy team, but I guess so he can throw it back in Alex's face that he was faithful when they were broken up. The team discovers that the Golden Peak Lounge is in Vail, Colorado, so they decide to head there. But first, Morgan has to refrost his tips. Team Bartowski arrives at a party in a ski lodge in Vail. Morgan, still grappling with his encounter with Alex earlier, is disgusted by all of the PDA around him. He even hacks it a little bit, telling one couple, <laughs> you better love each other. Morgan says he'd never do anything like this when uh, all of a sudden we hear a woman call his name. Chuck and Morgan turn around and it's BD herself, Bo Derek. Who, who was that? <laughs> she says, <laughs> Just I've- kidding, but not really. She says, I thought I'd never see you again, lover, and plants one right on Morgan's lips to the rest Ooh. of the team's astonishment. Morgan is a little overwhelmed by this, but Sarah reminds him that he needs to act like his old self, the one that got with famed actress and sex symbol Bo Derek. Chuck introduces himself to Bo, and she implies that she's aware that Chuck masturbated to her as a youth. <laughs> uh, Chuck quickly pivots the conversation to be about how Bo knows Morgan. And Bo explains that Morgan, quote, rocked her world one magical night in November, which surprises and disgusts the rest of the team. 
Morgan presses Bo for more details and she brings him over to a bulletin board where patrons of the lodge have hung up photos from Morgan's last visit. Someone actually went through the effort of taking photos and then printing them out and bringing them to the lodge and hanging them up to commemorate this night. Bo explains that Morgan kept bragging about how he had saved the world earlier that day and that he was a real, quote, funny bunny. Chuck asks what happened after that, and Bo says that she and Morgan went back to her bedroom. Sarah, overhearing this, pieces together that the glasses might be in a vault in Bo's room, which would mean that Bo Derek has been living out of this lodge for the past two months. Well, it seems to be the case. Which seems kind of weird, but all right. The team thinks this sounds like a viable lead, so Morgan asks Bo to bring him back up there for round two. Uh, Jeff and Lester are also at the ski lodge. They're overhearing this, and they're watching, and they're, they're in the background. Up in Bo Derek's room, Morgan is on the bed as Bo Derek struggles to take off his shoes and then his pants. Morgan tries to stall as much as possible, but Bo is a woman on a mission. As this is happening, we learn more about Morgan's previous night with Bo Derek, specifically that he and her played some kind of sexual version of hide and seek, and that Morgan also led the entire lodge in an unironic sing-along of Wham's hit song, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Sounds fun. Casey and Sarah are amazed by the depths of Morgan's annoyingness when they notice Jeff and Lester in the corner. Sarah, much like me a moment ago, asks how they could have possibly followed them, but Casey says that's because they flew commercial. So there you go, I guess. Although you mentioned that they overheard it at the Buy More, so I guess that makes sense. Casey storms off to deal with the nerd herders, while a snowboarder approaches Sarah and asks if she's looking for Morgan Grimes. He says that he gave that guy the sickest tattoo last time he was there, even though... uh, Morgan was allegedly Michael Carmichael when he was in the lounge, so I don't really... Yeah, I don't know. Don't worry about it. He was also wasted, so he could have been telling people his real name. Yeah. Running out of ways to not have sex with Bo Derek, Morgan says that he's going to go refill their ice bucket. Casey, meanwhile, escorts Jeff and Lester out of the lodge and hits them with some of that sweet, sweet short-term memory loss gas, so they immediately forget what they're doing. Outside the lodge, Morgan asks Chuck for more ideas on how to stall Bo Derek, to which Chuck reminds Morgan that he has a tattoo, apparently. Morgan immediately remembers that his inner lip is tattooed, and he takes out his lip to show Chuck a very real-looking tattoo, which it's says... It's so real! Don't trust Bo Derek. <laughs> I'm, I feel like if I, if I loved this episode, which uh, we will learn how I felt about this episode at the end. Of course. But I feel like that would be a very funny tattoo to get as like a... I, I mean, I guess like the thing you would probably get would be don't freak out, but it would be kind of like an outside the box Chuck tattoo. And I kind of like it. You have more tattoo experience than I do, but I would imagine that getting a tattoo on your inner lip would be... I mean, I wouldn't terrible. do that. I wouldn't put it there. I probably no. like to be clear. Um, but yeah, I, I think that would be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. People do it. I also don't know how long they last. Like I know getting oh, your really? fingers tattooed is um, like they fade pretty quickly. I imagine your your inner lip would be uh, not like the best place. But Morgan's looks pretty good and very real. <laughs> and not like it was done in Microsoft Paint. Uh, yeah, I'm looking up how long do they last? This says one to five years. Really? And then it would just go away? Yeah, it would just like fade to the point where it would be unrecognizable. And that happens on your fingers too? Yep. But not other parts of your body? Well, like, because, like, I mean, your inner lip is like wet. I imagine that, like, and food. Don't talk about my inner lip. <laughs> you don't know what's going on in there. Yeah, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't assume. Um, but, like, your fingers, I like, you're just like, 
they get a lot of they get a lot of action. Like again, I don't want to assume <laughs> that about you. Um, but like you're washing your hands a lot. Like you're using them for things. Like I don't know. They just um, and they like move a lot. Like more so like like they're they're bending and flexing and stuff. I just think like that's like a that's like a known thing. You're of course listening to go tattoo yourself. <laughs> I I mean I guess. I'm not going to say I don't recommend tattooing yourself, but there's so many great artists out there that if you're not an artist, maybe you want to patronize one, you know? Something to think about. Uh, thank you for listening to Go Tattoo Yourself. <laughs> now we're going to go back to Bo Chuck Yourself. That's right. I said Bo Chuck Yourself. That was pretty funny. You get oh it? Oh my God. Why didn't we make a Bojack Horseman reference? <sighs> so many missed opportunities here. I know. So where were we? Yes, there's the tattoo that says, Don't Trust Bo Derek. Uh, just then, Bo herself walks up behind Chuck with her gun drawn and says, take me to the intersect. Chuck and Morgan are a little heartbroken that Bo, uh, Bo Derek is actually a villain, even saying classic villain lines like, my backup is on the way. Fortunately, Sarah sneaks up on Bo and pistol whips her on the top of her head, knocking her out. Sarah sarcastically apologizes for knocking out Chuck's girlfriend and is not too pleased when Chuck and Morgan ask for confirmation that Sarah didn't cause any permanent damage to Bo's appearance. We then cut to a commercial. When we come back, we, uh, wait a second, was my DVD skipping here? We find Jeff and Lester in a crashed out convertible on the side of the road with the weight by the band playing. Jeff and Lester proceed to have their exact same conversation that they had earlier in the episode, except this time, Jeff realizes that he left himself a clue on his arm with a Sharpie marker that reads, Vault Bo Derek. Back in Castle, Chuck and Morgan are sitting down with Bo Derek in an interrogation room and politely asked to know the truth about Morgan's night with her. She explains that she is indeed a spy and that her boss had found out that there was some kind of knucklehead in the intelligence community who was going around bragging about having the intersect. She says that they were already on the lookout for him when he surfaced very publicly in Vale. Morgan doesn't believe this and says that he would have kept a much lower profile. We then cut to a flashback of what really happened that night, starting with Morgan yelling, Who wants to party with the intersect? I am the most powerful weapon in the world! And downing a couple of shots surrounded by beautiful women. Morgan does a backflip and then starts dancing with a couple of these women. Bo Derek enters and sets her sights on Morgan. Morgan is hitting on these two dancing partners in a foreign language when he sees Bo Derek and tells them both to scram. Not too long after, Bo Derek takes Morgan up to her room, pushes him onto her bed, and, well, actually has sex with him. Chuck and Morgan are flabbergasted by this in the present, with Morgan wanting to know how it was, and Bo assures him that it was only physical. Chuck presses on to learn more about what happened after that. And Bo recounts the story of how Morgan met her employer, one Nicholas Quinn. <gasps> a lot of, I, as I uh, mentioned to you off mic, um, I've been watching Prison Break and there is mm -hmm. a character in Prison Break who is like kind of has similar vibes, who is also named Quinn. Oh. Um, and I watched that episode yesterday and then watched that this episode today. I was like, what, what is it with the name Quinn? It's like it was a popular last name in the world in 20, the 10, 11. We cut to a flashback scene. Morgan is tied up uh, on Bo Derek's bed and basically says that he's the intersect and that once he flashes, he'll be able to free himself. Quinn, who is sitting in the shadows, says that he has a copy of the intersect that he's wanted to upload to himself for quite some time, but hasn't because he heard that there were some bugs in it. After observing Morgan, however, uh, he thinks that he's actually going to be down to give the intersect a try because Morgan seems like he's fine. Morgan threatens to track all of them down once he's free, but Quinn is so confident that Morgan won't remember the exchange that he introduces himself and shows his face. 
His henchmen then try to spray Morgan with some of that uh, short-term memory loss gas. Love it. Because this episode is apparently sponsored by short-term memory loss gas. <laughs> it's everywhere. As the henchman approaches to spray Morgan, Morgan zooms, leaps out of the bed, and takes out his captors with his hands tied. He manages to snag the intersect glasses as well. Uh, he also takes Bo Derek's winter coat and her snow boots and runs off into the night. Back in the present, Chuck and Morgan brief Casey and Sarah on what they learned from Bo Derek. They uh, had some time to look into Quinn as well. Turns out that Quinn runs his own spy agency, which is kind of like an evil version of Carmichael Industries. Yes, it his, is. His clients include Fulcrum, The Ring, and Volokov Industries, as well as North Korea. Casey deduces that Quinn is bent on getting the intersect since it's put so many of his best clients behind bars. Although they have this information on Bo Derek's employer now, Team Bartowski is still no closer to finding where Morgan put the intersect glasses. Morgan says he has no memory of it, and Bo Derek says that she doesn't know anything beyond when Morgan ran away that night. Morgan says that he must have put the glasses somewhere safe. He just doesn't know where. Just then, he sees Alex enter the buy more on the security monitor, so he decides that he needs to t- uh, tell her about his night with Bo Derek. Until he does. But Alex does not believe him. Well, not at first, at least. They make a truce that even though uh, they, you know, had other lovers during their break, that they are, they're even and they're never going to talk about it again. Just then, Big Mike pops his head into the home theater room to ask if Morgan has the master key. He says that he looked in the manager's vault and it wasn't there. This jogs Morgan's memory. Upon hearing Big Mike ask about the manager's vault, Morgan remembers that as he was escaping through the woods of Vale, he encountered a Buy More store there. He takes this information to Chuck, who looks it up online. Indeed, there is a Buy More location in Vale, Colorado. <gasps> and there's even a news article about the Frosted Tips tiptoeing bandit who broke into the store the night that Morgan was in town, but didn't steal anything. The team knows what they must do, so they get ready. While Casey stands back to reflect that he will probably never escape Buy More, because it's everywhere. I kind of like the name, um, the Frosted Tips tiptoer better than the bearded bandit. I feel like the Colorado newspapers have like a better pun capacity. Right. Cause it's all those legal drugs that they have in Colorado. It's making them <laughs> a little bit more creative. Was, was, was it legal in uh, 2011? Yeah, it could have been. I know that they're kind of ahead of the curve on a lot yeah. of things. Good for you, Colorado. <laughs> Good for you, Colorado. Uh, something else that they're um, ahead of the curve at is exquisitely theming their buy more. It looks so much Beautiful. better. Then the buy more in Burbank. There's like um, a fake chairlift with yeah. mannequins dressed up in ski wear. There's a rock climbing wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently everyone who works there is a skier and has uh, broken limbs or injuries related to that. <laughs> that's I mean, that that's like commitment to theming, I'll say. Yeah. One of the employees also seems to be one of the people that Morgan partied with. And even though he seems to be seeing Morgan for the first time since then and seems surprised that Morgan is there, he then says that he tweeted Morgan was back in town. It would have made more sense if he had said, like, I saw a tweet that you were back in town, but that's not what he says. Um, Casey takes a moment to acknowledge that he hates Twitter, which is not really prompted by anything, but is something that I believe Casey would feel. Although ironic, giving, uh, given Adam Baldwin's proclivity for Twitter. Oh, that's true. He, he loves Twitter. Um, they head up to the nerd herd counter and find a female Lester. Not Lester in drag like in the previous episode, but like just the female equivalent of Lester standing next to a very old man who I guess is supposed <laughs> to be the equivalent of Jeff. I'm not really sure. But there is a manager named Big Michelle, which I thought was incredible. 
lest we forget also there's a, a snowboarding fernando oh that's he's, true yes there is he's, and he's he, got long he hair looks great. He's in the background yeah yeah he looks great while they're going to meet big michelle sarah tells casey that this is as dangerous as their future missions will ever get casey is a little dubious about this and tells her to focus on getting them through this one well, I guess Sarah is a former small business owner herself, having done the, you know, Wienerlicious or Orange Orange That's or whatever. That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's uh, nothing, few things are scarier than uh, interacting with a business owner or manager <laughs> when they're not expecting your visit. Uh, they do not like it. Yeah. Um, Big Michelle is not very happy to have them there. And in a rather annoyed tone of voice, she says she's going to have to call and get the go ahead if they want her to open the vault. Instead of waiting for her to do that, Sarah just tranks Big Michelle. Morgan is a little worried um, about figuring out what the vault password is without Big Michelle's help. But then it occurs to him that buy more laziness is a thing and the password might just be one, two, three, four, which in fact it is. But when they open the vault, the only things in there are a couple of donuts. The glasses are nowhere to be seen. They head back into the store proper and see an uh, openable standee display for a game called Guns with a Z in gold. Um, They approach the standee and are able to open the image of a safe that's in there. And then there is a functionable safe inside with a uh, copy of the game in which, you guessed it, the glasses are hidden. As the team is about to leave, Jeff and Lester reveal that they've been watching from the sidelines this whole time. They do so by knocking over a whole bunch of shelves with the skis that they've apparently been carrying. Lester shouts for everyone to hear that Team Bartowski is made up of spies, and Jeff points out the Sharpie notes covering his arm and says that they won't dissuade them this time. Just then, someone begins shooting, and the crowd of shoppers scatters. We find out that Quinn has arrived with guns drawn. He explains to the team that he was once also CIA, and in fact, he was supposed to get the intersect before Bryce stole it. He says as a result of not getting the intersect, he was captured, tortured, broken, and then fired by the CIA, which is actually like pretty believable as a villain origin story. The team tries to explain to him that he still shouldn't put on the intersect glasses because the intersect will eventually melt his mind, but Quinn is pretty set on his plan. As the shooting starts, Jeff cowers in a corner and Lester climbs the big rock wall which I don't know where he thinks he's going and actually is a worse idea because it makes him more visible and more likely to get caught by a stray bullet, but that's what he does. Team Bartowski manages to take out Quinn's team and keep the glasses in their possession. Unfortunately, Quinn himself gets away, but Chuck convinces Casey and Sarah not to go after him and just let the authorities handle it. When they turn to find Jeff and Lester, Jeff and Lester beg to have all of this wiped from their memories because I guess it was extremely traumatizing, which is fair. They were caught in a mass shooting um, and it's just too much pressure. Um, So they wake up again and we see uh, one more scene. The number of vultures has exponentially increased each time. Um, Everything seems to be going as it has the previous two times until... Jeff looks at his arm and sees that the note, they are spies, has now been hastily amended to read, they are not spies. Jeff and Lester (laughs) uh, realize that they must have cracked the case. And just then, Big Mike shows up with some Subway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, He mentions that uh, his wife, Morgan's mother, is um, doing some sort of retreat and suggests that since they're halfway to Vegas already, they actually go to Vegas. And, you know, then they do. 
Was this the like latest there's ever been Subway product placement in an episode? Like the episode's think, practically over. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. If I was working for Subway, I'd be kind of pissed. I'd be like, come on, guys. Well, I guess I don't know if viewership would drop off over the course of the episode. Probably not. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're in it for this one, you're probably in it to the end. <laughs> so we move to another scene of Chuck and Sarah's bed. This time it's Chuck waking up, but Sarah's not there. She calls him on his phone and says that she couldn't sleep, so she headed to Castle. One of the things she did uh, early in the morning while waiting in Castle was make an appointment to check out some new office spaces. She's very excited about the prospect of finally shifting Carmichael Industries to a tech firm and says she'd love to have a champagne toast to their future, um, at which they destroy the intersect glasses. Chuck points out that maybe saying it was their last mission wasn't a jinx after all. Everything is really nice and happy until Quinn comes and knocks Chuck out and drags him away. The Chuck and Sarah never, I mean, I don't say that they need to be together all the time, but it seems like when Sarah is in Castle and Chuck's by himself, something bad happens. Something bad is always going to happen. Shaw comes and captures Sarah or Quinn comes and captures Chuck. They really just need to stick together. So Quinn calls Sarah and demands that the glasses be brought to the San Pedro docks. Sarah and Casey show up to meet the ransom demands, and all Quinn's guys drop down to meet them. A guard asks Sarah to put the glasses down on the ground, but the guards won't show Sarah Chuck, so she realizes it must be a trap, and the shooting starts. Sarah and Casey have to get out of there, but there are too many guys with too many guns, and neither of them has either a clear shot or a clear exit strategy. Sarah realizes her only option, put on the glasses herself and fight her way out as the intersect. While Casey pleads with her not to do it, she does it anyway because she's got to save her man. She flashes or zooms or whatever Sarah's version of that will be and manages to defeat everybody. But, oh no, her mind might be toast now. And that is where we end. And to elaborate on that, there is actually... Um... There's a declassified scene that happens shortly before that. Um, It was very minor, but basically it's Sarah and Casey bring the intersect glasses to Ellie to have her like check them out and see what kind of condition the intersect is in. And so she uses, I think it's the Orion computer. Maybe it's just a normal computer, but Ellie determines that the intersect in the glasses is the same version as the one that Morgan had. So it has all the same defects as far as she can tell. Ellie can tell that Sarah is uh, clearly anxious about something, but Sarah doesn't want to worry Ellie, so she doesn't say that Chuck's in danger. She just says, thank you for your help. So Casey, I think that provides a little bit more context because Sarah and Casey know that the glasses are going to be trouble. Yeah. They're not just a pure version of the intersect. So so it's a it's a problem that Sarah put them on. It's pretty, pretty intense. This is still uh, Chuck versus Bo, I guess, even though <laughs> things really get kind of weird in the last... The last act of this episode. Um, yeah, I didn't realize. <laughs> I I remember this Sarah getting the intersect as a plot line that has uh-huh. enormous repercussions on the end of the series. I did not remember that it happened here in Chuck versus Bo, but it does. This is also the episode where Sarah says the phrase boobies for the first time in Chuck's history, I believe. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a vibe at the beginning. There's a vibe at the end. They're not really the same vibe, though. <laughs> yeah. Two things that are not the same vibe is uh, we have Chuck, Mary, kill where we want to marry something. We want to kill something. Two different vibes, I suppose. But they they uh, belong together. Yin and yang. The the heart of go chuck yourself, really, <laughs> is how I think of it. So I agree. Aaron, what would you like to marry 
this week. This is kind of a weird, Mary, because I guess it's like uh, an idea that I like that I feel like could have been probably executed a little better and kind of mm. gone a little farther. But I really, really thought it was funny, the idea of like an alternative universe buy more where there's like <laughs> um, bizarro versions of each of the uh, characters that we've grown to know and sometimes maybe love. Um, I really liked the Veil by more and how like because we saw the Beverly Hills by more and it wasn't really that different from the Burbank mm-hmm. by more. But this one, it seemed like they put some set design effort into it. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the idea of this alternative Lester, Big Michelle instead of Big Mike. I wish that they had gone a little farther with it and had like another version of Chuck and another version of Morgan. But I, mm-hmm. there was a lot going on in this episode. So I understand why they didn't do that. They probably blew all their budget on Bo. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Got a little chuckle out of me. I, yeah, it would have been funny if they had a alternate Morgan and an alternate Chuck would have, or like even an alternate Casey too would have been yeah. funny, but that would have, I guess, been a whole thing. But I was wondering, like, I wonder, I'm like, why do, what's the fixation with Vale here? Like, why did they pick out of all the places? Like, cause Morgan could have had a night out in any place in the world. You yeah. know what I mean? But they picked Vale, Colorado. I don't know. Maybe they got like a, a tax break or something. For mentioning Vale, they certainly like didn't feel like yeah, like it's like Vale tour. The Vale tourism department paid them to say Maybe. yeah, Vale's a fun place to go. I'm sure one of the writers was just like went on to Vale for vacation or something. Yeah. It was like oh, we should do an episode. Should do Vale. Yeah. What are, what is your Mary? Well, I appreciated that they committed to the bit of Jeff and Lester waking up the same way every time. Yeah. Uh, throughout the episode, I thought that. Although the use of memory loss gas by the end of the episode, I was kind of over. Um, I thought it was funny that not only does Team Bartowski keep trying the same tactic over and over again to get rid of them, but that Jeff and Lester naturally have the same exact conversation every time they wake up. Yeah. Um, I think that there would probably be a case made that Team Bartowski probably should have switched things up. Like if they kept being unsuccessful in distracting Jeff and Lester. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of on Casey. Yeah, I'm glad that they went with the more absurd route and they kept doing it because I thought it was a, a nice, uh, absurd little touch right there. Yeah, I thought it was funny. So what would you like to kill this week, Aaron? I was um, not a fan of Morgan's puritanical values in this episode. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm sure that will come as no surprise to any of our listeners or to you. But it was just kind of like... I don't know, like, I've talked about this show's views on sex being very immature, um, and that was, like, a thing where it's, like, they were literally broken up, and it's it's weird, like, I, it's a complicated thing, like, I, mm-hmm. I understand the jealousy and everything, and I think it's pretty weird that Dale shows up and, like, confronts Morgan and, like, knows his place of work and is allegedly, like, stalking him and Alex. Like, that's a weird vibe. Um, But the fact that Morgan chooses to focus on the, um, like, the fact that Alex slept with someone, and not only that, but, like, keeps bringing it up and, like, hacks the PDA at the party Mm. and keeps, like, talking about how, like, and it's not just, like, He's threatened. He like actually says at multiple points how he's angry and he wants to like throw it back in her face and how like I don't I don't know that he ever calls like her a hoary blonde, but he does like kind of say things about her that are like that because it's like she had this physical encounter, like she's not a good person. Like that's that's mm. a weird vibe for someone that he like ostensibly loves. 
Um, and I didn't really like, like I've, I've been on Morgan's side a lot more recently than I was in earlier seasons. And I just don't like seeing this particular side of him. Yeah. The, uh, the show is pretty sex positive until it is not. Yes. But let's take a moment to appreciate the fact that the phrase slash joke that originated in the first episode of the season, hacking the PDA, we actually have an instance of it in this episode. I think it's the closest thing. Like he's literally interfering with people who are uh, having a public display of affection. Yeah, I like how I was able to just say it as a phrase that like made sense. We both understood. Um, (laughs) I feel like I'm just going to start trying to use it in day to day life. And I think people will get it. I think it's going to catch on. Yeah, I really, I do. Um, <laughs> so I guess for my kill, I think it's less of an episode specific thing. And it's more of something, a larger trend that I realized while watching this episode when Queen uh-huh. was revealing his backstory. Uh-huh. But I think that it's pretty disappointing that more often than not, when it comes to creating tension or drama or establishing like antagonists, the show really just goes, keeps going back to the past uh-huh. and being like, this was something that was happening the whole time that Chuck yeah. wasn't aware of. Quinn, uh, you know, says that he was originally supposed to get the intersect, but I feel like that's like, wasn't Shaw supposed to get it? Wasn't like Bryce potentially going to get it? Like, I feel like there were other intersect candidates. Yeah. I don't know. It like, it's hard to keep track of it all. And like, I feel like in the, the, the world of the show, Chuck has been in the spy world for probably like, four or five years maybe right Mm -hmm. if we're going off of seasons yeah so you would think that in the amount of time chuck would have like inspired or encountered new bad guys who are not just secret figures who have been operating in the background the whole time like it would have been kind of cliche and still but like i would have been more on board if it was like quinn was never involved with cia or like the intersect at all but he was just like some kind of private spy for hire that learned recently of chuck and of the intersect because of chuck you know being around for a while so like and then him being like oh i've been wronged i deserve the intersect that would have been a little bit more interesting still pretty stale kind of seems like where they're going with it and then it just like kind of becomes like this usual like ah he was behind the scenes and he was part of fulcrum and like whatever like yeah and i just like i should have it should have dawned on me earlier but i'm like why does chuck always it's always (laughs) this building the mythology prior to chuck getting the intersect rather than it ever being a reaction to something like to the present moment or something that's actually going on yeah so i think that's definitely a good point yeah i think that's kind of uh uh, more of a guess a larger kill than just this episode but something that i will be thinking about yeah i don't know i guess you know typically we move into the scooter scale right now that's on the agenda of future business so i guess you can kind of choose aaron how you want to handle this if you want to declare whether this is your least favorite episode ahead of time or if you want to do that after your scooter scale score I'll, whatever I'll just go ahead and say it now i do not think this is my least favorite episode of chuck wow redemption thy name is chuck versus Bo. <laughs> i was wrong i'm sorry i was wrong when i thought it was whatever episode <laughs> two season five whatever i thought it was i was wrong when i thought it was the episode after that I was wrong this time when I said uh, (laughs) this is my least favorite episode. I don't hate this episode. That is the highest compliment I will give it. Um, (laughs) I think that 
Like, the ending is fairly exciting. We've kind of established that, like, the ending of this episode feels like a completely different episode, mm-hmm. maybe even out of a completely different season. Like, it's <laughs> it's very dramatic in a way that, like, I usually associate with, like, season three or season four and, like, Shaw mm-hmm. and Volkov and stuff. Um, but the majority of the episode, the first two acts, it was just kind of, like, silly, fun I think, like, if I had a previous relationship with Bo Derek, um, it might have been more exciting to see her. I don't really have a relationship beyond, like, I understand the joke about Ten. I understand that she's, like, a sex symbol, and it's kind of funny to think that Morgan had sex with her. Like, but actually, like, seeing her on screen and having her be such a huge part of the episode and, like, how they use her was just, like, just fine. Um, I kind of, like, I did like the, um, buy more, the veil buy more, more than I remembered liking it. I remember it being, like, a huge part of this episode, and it really wasn't, and I thought it was, like, kind of the right amount I would have maybe even liked more. Um, so, with all that, I'm going to give this episode two corndogs, um, which I don't think is the lowest score I've ever given I think I think we've got a one corn dog somewhere out there. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna give this two corn dogs, which you know, if you if you have like a drink and a salad with it, that's that's a meal. Maybe not a satisfying <laughs> meal, but like it's it's a meal. <laughs> well, I guess that's putting a new spin on the scooter scale because if we're eating five corn dogs, you definitely feel gross and terrible, and you shouldn't do it. So, we... I, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a good point. Huh. Well, is that, are you going to give this episode five corn dogs, Chris? No, I'm not. not. I know that I could surprise you sometimes, but I'm not that surprising. Uh, This week, I would like to hand out uh, a score that you handed out, maybe on what you thought was your least favorite episode before, but I'm going to be giving out two and three quarters corn dogs. Yeah, I think I'm pretty ambivalent about the episode. We've talked about how the majority of the episode... You know, obviously, up until the final five minutes, like you're saying, is very much this kind of silly, you know, sex comedy adventure. And then things get very serious all of a sudden. Uh. And they start setting up the arc that's, you know, going to drive us through the end of the show. And, you know, I agree with you. I think it's probably like a generational thing. But since we did not grow up as a part of the Bo Derek generation, um, <laughs> this episode really wasn't as exciting as it might have been for someone who maybe did grow up with Bo Derek. Yeah. Um, because obviously I'm certainly part of the Ivan Strahovski generation. So every <laughs> mm-hmm. week is exciting for me. Uh, but Bo Derek, I'm like kind of just like, all right. I also think it's kind of weird that, you know, with only four episodes left or whatever, that this presumably I'm imagining is going to be Bo Derek's like one of the last, you know, celebrity Villains, guest stars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, really, that's the note you want to end on with like, not that she's, you know, didn't do a good job because I think she did, but like, you would you would have thought that they would have tried to go for someone larger, maybe, but yeah. Well, they they ran out of their Scott Bakula budget, and also he's dead. So uh, I mean, he, Scott Scott Bakula is dead. <laughs> to be clear, no, it's, it's just Stephen Bartowski is dead. God willing, Scott Bakula will, will be with us for many years to come. Yeah, and so I think the episode, you know, it really is hinging upon the fact that it's like we have Bo Derek. Like, isn't that crazy? But if that doesn't work for you, then the episode doesn't really work for you. And I've obviously stated my concern about Quinn's introduction, as well as my amusement with Jeff and Lester's B-plot. Although I was kind of thinking that it would be nice if 
it Jeff and Lester could have been trusted with the truth, like that they yeah. instead of giving them, you know, having to make them forget, because I would like that would have been a nice conclusion to their arc throughout the series of being like these losers that can't be trusted for anything. Like they're always up to no good or they're, you know, up to their hijinks. But it could have been a cool way to end the series of being like, yeah, no, this is what we've been doing this whole time. Like we're almost done being spies. Like we're trying to transition into the private sector. Please don't tell anyone. And, you know, Jeff with his new mind set of state of mind could have been like, you know, accepting of that or yeah. Lester could have been appreciative that they got him out of jail. Cause otherwise yeah. he, you know, overall it was cool not cool but like i'm not surprised that we had a morgan centric episode since mm-hmm. the past two weeks were you know sarah then casey kind of being at the forefront mm-hmm. also ellie and awesome have been kind of at the forefront before that yeah. and also simultaneously so i'm a little disappointed that this is how the writers use the the fourth to last episode but um yeah so although bo derrick is hot and vale colorado is cold i am in the middle <laughs> lukewarm it's good. I'm I'm happy that we both made um, some sort of outside the box metaphors in our scooter scale this week. We're really getting there, you know. I think yeah, after yeah, having at the end, having done you know 105 episodes or whatever of the show, we're finally starting to come into our own. <laughs> <laughs> so the last uh, order of business that I have for today is the lesson of the week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? Well, it's not really something we touched upon too much. I think because neither of us really wanted to address it. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of references to sex, uh, filling one's bodies with rainbows, <laughs> making rainbows shoot out of one's bodies. Uh-huh. Um, that seems to be a phrase that everyone in the Chuckiverse is like very familiar with as a metric for really good sex. Um, and <laughs> so I guess my lesson this week is that like, all previous sexual encounters I've had have just been really bad and I don't have <laughs> rainbows shooting out of me. So maybe that's something to aspire to in this like next phase of my life. I I do think it's impressive that given how many times they say rainbows in this episode, the fact that we were both able to get through our synopsis of it without mentioning rainbows yeah. at all. <laughs> it's like it wasn't really needed. <laughs> Uh, This week, I learned that if you need to hide something very important, you should hide it in the package of a physical copy of a computer game because absolutely nobody will ever find it. Good idea. Although I guess it was just a display, but, you know, so no customers would be, you know, going through a display. But that was also a very weird display for a computer game to have it. Yeah, it's weird because it's like interactive in that you can open the safe and there's something inside it but like it didn't seem like they were encouraging people to do that it was just like a thing that (laughs) happened was possible yeah it's like not like you have to open the fake vault to get your copy of the game it was just like oh you could do this but also now that i'm thinking about it we're the morgan's time in Vale was like two months earlier right so they had this display set up two months ago but then when they walk into the Vale Buy More, Chuck is like, oh, that new Guns and Volts game or whatever the hell it's called is really popular it's right now. Guns and Gold, Chris. Guns and Gold. It just came out recently. So I don't know. I'm starting to think that they didn't think too much about this season. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do the thinking for them, I guess, because we've yep. been thinking about this season a lot. We have been. We really have been. So. I will check off. Yep. Everything on my agenda is uh, is all set. We checked off all the boxes this week with Chuck versus Bo. 
I keep wanting to say Chuck versus the bow because I feel like the that's, is always yeah, in the that's title. That's kind but, of an element. Yeah, but not not the case nope. this time. So uh, it's been a pleasure, Aaron. Always always a nice catching up with you. Oh, thanks. You too. Uh, you too. Hello, hello. We're at a place called Versus Bow. <laughs> <laughs> Which, all right, let's, you know, this is really nerdy, but that is a callback to, you know, I opened the show with that joke. I'm closing the show with the joke. Just like you too. You know, occasionally when they're on their Vertigo tour, they would open the show with Vertigo and then also close sometimes with Vertigo. And you're like, Chris, why would they do that? That's a weird thing to do. You're right. It is. But it's also a homage to when they were first starting out as a band and they would have to play. They didn't have enough songs to fill an hour, so they'd have to repeat songs. So they'd start the show with I Will Follow and then also end the show with I Will Follow. And the whole idea of, you know, the how to dismantle an atomic bomb, part of it was kind of a response to their first album, they really toyed with the idea of it calling uh, calling it man to really reflect the more mature tones of the album and the, the subject matter. So it was kind of like a, you know, follow up to boy in that way. And oh, my God, Aaron has <laughs> uh, this has never really happened before. But Aaron is actually uh, logged out of the Zoom because I was so boring. Um, well, in that case, I guess I will finish things up here. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. Oh, and look who has decided to join us again. I had um, I had a notification set up for the words food is sexy. And when you said it, pop back in. My name is Erin Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. And I will be escaping again before you can start talking about you too. Bye. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.